Welcome to St. Andrew and to our traditional online service for the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. As we welcome you to worship today, we also invite you to check out our website at mystandrew.org for other opportunities in ministry, both in person and online. And I want you to know that beginning next Sunday, September the 27th, we will be reintroducing our 8 a.m. in-person worship so that we'll have traditional services at 8 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. and contemporary praise at 11 o'clock. Just visit our website to sign up and come or join us online as you are so led. God bless you in your worship and in all of your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us pray. Faithful God, have mercy on us. We confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We turn from your loving embrace and go our own ways. We pass judgment on one another before examining ourselves. We place our own needs before those of our neighbors. We keep your gift of salvation to ourselves. Make us humble, cast away our transgressions, and turn us again to life in you. 
through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you and for his sake forgives you all your sins. It is by the power of his death, resurrection, ascension, and his promise to come again that I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the 
peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, you call us to work in your vineyard and to leave no one standing idle. Set us to our tasks in the work of your kingdom and help us to order our lives by your wisdom. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our first reading comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians, the first chapter. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. everyone. Have you ever done a group project for school? One time I did, and I did more work than anyone in my group. I stayed up all night to do the research and write a report. The next day, everyone in my group received an A, even though I did most of the work. This reminded me of today's Bible story, where all the workers got the same pay, even though some worked longer than others. Jesus reminds us that God is not always fair, but he is gracious. Unlike earning a good grade on a book report or making money for work, there is no way to earn God's love. It doesn't matter how long we work or how hard we try to earn it. Jesus did the work for us by dying on the cross for our sins. Let's fold our hands, bow our heads, and say a prayer. Dear Jesus, Thank you for the gifts of your amazing love and unfailing grace. Help us to remember that we do not need to work for your love because you have done it through the cross. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
One of the things that you guys have heard me do over the past couple of sermons is tell some stories about uh, my brother and I, and I'm sure that's something I will do uh, in the years to come, uh, especially stories about our childhood, but even stories about when we are older. And I'd love to say that all of those stories highlight uh, how incredible we are, but let's be honest, it's usually the opposite. Uh, see, my brother and I are eight years apart. Now, usually when I tell people that, uh, they're quite surprised because it is only two of us. And so eight years is a pretty wide gap between the two siblings. In fact, uh, 40% of Americans who have at least two children, uh, the age gap is anywhere between 13 to 36 months, which is essentially one to three years. So hearing eight years, people then often wonder if my brother and I are as close as other siblings. Well, let me assure you, and our wives can attest to the fact that we are indeed very close, and not to mention that we're probably closer than most siblings who are born within a year or three of each other. And one of the things that that closeness has caused in our relationship is, well, a sense of competition, you might say. And we compete in a lot of ways, but one of the things that we've recently started to do is joke about which one of us is now the favorite child of the parents or which one of us is a favorite to each parent. And one of the ways that this plays out is actually uh, my brother will call me and he'll say, hey, have you spoken to dad recently? I was like, no, why? You know, is everything okay? He goes, I think he needs to talk to his favorite son. So just give him a call, calm him down a little bit, tell him you love him. And of course, we joke about this in front of our parents. So uh, when I tell you that it's all in good fun, I mean it. It is all in good fun. Uh, but could you imagine if this began to take a bit of an ugly turn, as if we began to actually feel jealous of one another, talking about who's being favored? And uh, just perhaps change that idea of being favored to being more loved essentially implying that because one of us is favored by a parent more than the other, therefore we are also more loved by the other. We are more loved, and I think this is something that we do in our lives. I think this is something that we tend to do without even realizing it. Uh, we see people in the world, in our lives, and we try to assign a value, assign a worth to them, and often we tend to see ourselves as perhaps a little bit more worthy or we see people as a little bit less uh, deserving, less, less worthy of that same kind of love. And here's the thing. Uh, when we do that, we miss sight of some of the realities of God's promises. We miss sight of the reality of how things are in the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, this morning, church, uh, here's what I want you to remember. The grace of Jesus is always given in abundance. Now, as our text opens up this morning, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 20, but I want to do what I did two weeks ago and give you some context. Actually, I just want to go back one verse. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, the last verse of chapter 19. I want to read it for you. Here's what Jesus says. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This, in fact, is what happens in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, our story for today. Uh, this story is known as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And that's exactly what it is. It's a story about workers in a vineyard. But as is true about most of the parables of Jesus, there's always more to the story. 
So as the story opens up, Jesus is telling his disciples this parable. And uh, it's about an owner who goes into a marketplace. And in the marketplace, he sees workers very early in the morning, and he asks them to come and work in his vineyard. Now, with these workers, he agrees that he will pay them a denarius. And a denarius was the common equivalent of one day's worth of work. So this was a fair agreement. The men agreed, they come, and they go work in the vineyard. Now, a couple of hours later, the man goes back into the marketplace and sees some more idle workers. And he asks what they're doing. They say they don't have any work. And so he asks, invites them to go work in the vineyard. And in total, the man does this five times that day. Now, in terms of the understanding of time, uh, ancient biblical time was kind of broken up into 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. But for our context, here's the, an easier way to understand it. The average workday is 12 whole hours, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So at 6 a.m., the owner of the vineyard goes out. He gets the first set of workers and agrees to pay them a denarius. Then he goes out at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m., all gathering more workers every time he goes out into the marketplace. But with those workers, with, with the final groups, here's what the agreement is. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 4, this is what he agrees with them for their work. You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So this statement makes it clear that it's up to the owner to decide who gets what and how much they get. So when the time comes, the end of the work day, all of the men begin to line up and the owner sends the foreman out to go and pay the men. He starts with the men at 5 p.m., this last group of workers who have basically been working for an hour, and he pays them a denarius. Now, the men who started at 6 a.m., who worked all day, can see that and so you may wonder what they're thinking. Oh man, I wonder what we're going to get paid if they got paid a denarius. Well, the time comes for they, them to get paid and they too get a denarius. Now, these men are not happy about this because they just worked all day long. In fact, they complain to the owner of the vineyard. Uh, here's what they say. These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now, I think it's really easy for us to put ourselves in those earliest workers' shoes. Uh, I, for one, have never worked in a vineyard or worked in a field, for that matter. But I've worked a 12-hour shift before. Uh, it was when I was a waiter in a wedding hall back when I was in high school and in college. And uh, I may not have experienced the scorching heat of the sun, but I certainly experienced the heat of being in and out of the kitchen. And honestly, just being on your feet for 12 hours can be really long. And when you're working for 12 straight hours, it's exhausting. It's tiring. And so for someone to come in after 11 hours have gone by and then to be get, get paid the exact same thing, I imagine we all would have some choice words for our boss. And in fact, the Apostle Paul kind of talks about this in some of his letters in regards to uh, fair wages and both for employers and for workers. Uh, for employers, he wants them to know that workers are worth his or her hire, uh, that there is something to be said about paying them for the work that they do. And for those of us who are laborers, 
Paul wants us to remember that although we are working for uh, some kind of, uh, of master here in this world, the reality is all of our service is rendered before God. So there's something to be said about that. But that's not what Jesus is after in this story. As I said, when it comes to Jesus' parables, there's always more to the story. Listen to how the owner responds in Matthew 20, verses 13 to 15. He looks at the men and he says, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? The anger that comes from the earliest workers is directed at the owner because he chose to pay everyone the same amount. And they even in their complaint say by doing that, he has made them all equal to one another as if somehow they should have been valued differently. And while that might be true, the reality is the owner did nothing wrong. Instead, he was a generous owner by giving to everyone the same thing, especially holding up his agreement to give what he agreed to. And it's really the owner's question in verse 15 that cuts to the heart of the complaints of the earliest workers, and it serves as the warning that Jesus is telling his disciples and me and you. Are you envious because I am generous? As I began to think about this question, uh, my initial reaction was, no, I'm not envious that you're generous. I just think that if you were really generous, you would have given me more because I worked longer. That's how generosity works, right? You give me more because I'm worth more? Uh, Well, it seems that with this response, the train of thought is that somehow the generosity of my boss is therefore needs to be equated to my actual value or my worth. I realize how easy it is to see myself as worth more just because I worked longer. And without hesitation, I place value on myself over that of others around me. And maybe you've had this experience. Maybe you've even seen this before. You have an example in your life where you worked harder and you worked longer and yet someone was given the exact same that you were given. You both received the same regardless of what you did. Again, it's easy to act like the earliest workers here, but when we do that, we miss out on what's really happening. We miss out on on the generosity of this owner of the vineyard, but even more importantly, we miss out on what Jesus is talking about. See, because this story is not about the angry workers who want a fair wage, and it's not about being angry because others are being treated as the same, this parable, this story, is all about God's grace. See, uh, I told you two weeks ago that what Jesus does throughout the Gospel of Matthew is establishes a new kind of culture. And here we see it once again. Jesus is establishing kingdom culture. Remember, Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, right before this parable, Jesus says this, But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 
And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, the last line of this parable, Jesus says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. What Jesus does in this parable is remind us that in the kingdom of heaven, we don't need to worry about what others are being given. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't compare ourselves to one another. Because we have all been given the same thing. There's no need to worry about what you're worth or how hard you worked or how hard others are not working, but rather to see it all through Jesus' eyes. See, because rather than getting paid with a denarius or whatever the average wage might be, we are being given a gift. The gift of eternal life. And the one who gives gives with abundance because the grace of Jesus is always given in abundance. This is because Jesus gives all that he has to you. In fact, he gave all that he had for you. And Jesus didn't pay for that with some sort of denarius or 10,000 bags of gold or silver or anything else that you could imagine. He didn't pay for it with a car, a house, a $100 bill. Jesus paid for you with his body and his blood on the cross. And with that payment, he gave it all. And right now, into this life, he continues to do just that. That's how things are in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gives you all of his grace. He gives you all of his mercy. He gives you all of his love. And it has nothing to do with what you earned. Jesus is a generous giver who has given it all to you. And so you celebrate this gift. And it doesn't matter if you've been faithful for your whole life or just faithful for one moment, Jesus gives it all to you. Now, our response to this gift is to be thankful, is to give thanks to God, not to worry about what others are receiving, but instead to recognize that we all together receive all that Jesus has. And we respond to this gift with shouts of praise and thanksgiving as one who have been called by God's grace to receive all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his love. And as we receive these things, we embody that generosity. And we grow in our relationship with Jesus, knowing that he gives it all to us. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, today... Jesus brings the joy of the kingdom to you. You experience this joy through his great generosity. And with this joy, you go out into the world and invite others to experience this same sort of reality. This new kind of culture. This place where the one who gives, gives in abundance. Every single time. Because the grace of Jesus is given for you. The grace of Jesus overflows and fulfills and sustains you and is given in abundance into eternity. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
God has made us his people through our baptism into Christ Jesus. Living together in trust and in hope, we confess our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Turning our hearts to the grace and mercy of God, let us pray. That the people of your church may grow together in your service and invite others to work in your vineyard, and in thanksgiving for your great and abundant grace, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For victims and those in the pathway of violent weather, hurricanes, flood, and fire, for all who suffer in this pandemic, and for healthcare providers who bring your healing presence, scientists who guide us in the truth over which you are the author, and caregivers who faithfully minister in your name, that they may persevere knowing your abiding presence, provision, and the peace that passes all human understanding. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all who are injured, ill, and bereaved, that the comforts of the gospel would fill their hearts and enable them to bear their cross in the sufficiency of your grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our nation, that its divisions may be healed. For leaders who are trustworthy peacemakers of genuine faith and good character, and who promote healing and goodwill throughout the world, and for your mighty and righteous judgment on all evil intentions, acts of racism and violence, selfish ambitions and falsehoods that confuse and divide us, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the unemployed, the hungry and homeless, and for all whose futures are uncertain to them, that they may be helped and healed, cared for and loved by those who bear your name in their actions and words, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. According to your steadfast love, O God, hear these and all the prayers we commend to you, trusting in your mercy, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who remembers us in his kingdom and has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.